Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you, all of you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Oh, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. <laughs> but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that it, I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Oh, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves 
in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. (laughs) This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it is been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Hi everyone. Um, so we're going to try this first uh, time of an open air sermon. <laughs> not quite, but nearly. Uh, it's freezing up here. Uh, just grabbed a hat. I don't know whether I suit it or not. It feels slightly like Benny from Crossroads. A certain generation would appreciate that. Most people won't. But um, I'm here to. Uh, I'm on my daily exercise actually, and I'm on what I refer to the best bench in Brighton. Um, not bad to see that I'm on this bench and the reason I think it's the best bench in Brighton is because this is the view from up here um, where you can see the whole of our city and the coastline and on clear days right over to Worthing and uh, the Isle of Wight on a clear day Um, and uh, yeah if you know a better bench let me know but um, let's think about Philippians we're going to be thinking about it over the next few weeks and um, my job today is to just kind of entice you into reading it yourself and to thinking about it and to uh, considering its message. Um, In one sense it's a really simple book. Uh, I've loved this book for years and years and years. It's just four chapters so it's short Um, but more than that it's incredibly accessible. It's not like lots of different bits of the Bible where you've got to know what's going on in the background for it to make sense. It doesn't have any great controversies, I don't think it does anyway. and it uh, is really readable and more than that it's really encouraging uh, it is written whilst Paul uh, but it's written by Paul and it's written whilst he's in prison he's in lockdown he uh, has to communicate via letters to people um, and this letter is because the church in Philippi that he established on what we call the second missionary journey of Paul where he covers hundreds of miles and uh, establishes some churches um, he then some years later he finds himself in prison we're not even sure what prison he's in uh, the, the letter doesn't tell us because he's he's in prison several times in his life it's either in Rome um, that many people like to think although there are some bits where that wouldn't make sense or it's in Caesarea or it's in Ephesus and um, Ephesus perhaps makes more sense to me it's a bit closer to Philippi and um, they've chosen to support him whilst he's in prison that's a pretty normal thing for friends and family to do There isn't a kind of welfare state in this part of the world when you're put in prison uh, 2,000 years ago. You're chucked into prison and you're reliant on friends and family to bring you food and um, and money to to be able to stay alive. And the church in Philippi has done that. And uh, someone called Epaphroditus has been asked to bring this gift to Paul in prison and and stick around and, and be there for Paul. And basically Paul sends him back and says... Um, you know, thanks for the gift, um, and here's some encouragement for you. So it is a thank you note. Um, it is full of joy and rejoicing, and uh, it's often called Paul's letter of joy, 16 times in 104 verses. 
it uses the phrase rejoice or joy or be joyful, um, which is extraordinary. It's extraordinary anyway for any letter to be so uh, sort of exuberant and to be so full of joy. But it's extra extraordinary because he's in prison. Um, he's in lockdown. Uh, what on earth has he got going from? What does this guy behind me think I'm doing? I'm going to carry on. <laughs> what, what is he doing writing something with so much positivity and joy? And it tells us so much about the character of this man that when the chips are down and when it's difficult, um, he's at his best. And Paul gets a bad rap over for lots of reasons. But in terms of his character, um, I don't know if I could be so generous to be thinking about writing to others and to be writing about such joy that he knows. A bit later on in the book, uh, I think it's chapter three, he talks about knowing a secret to being satisfied in all situations. Maybe it's chapter four. I think it's chapter four. And uh, at the beginning of Philippians, he gives away the secret. He basically gives the reason why he's joyful uh, and why he can rejoice. And that's what I want you to think about today. So I'm just going to focus in on the first 11 verses of chapter one of Philippians. And they begin um, with this kind of greeting, standard greeting. And then in verse three, he has this lovely phrase where he says, I always thank my God every time I think of you. And that might sound like an exaggeration, but I think recently, I don't know if you felt this, I sort of feel a bit of that sense um, that I've appreciated people more when I've been locked down, when I haven't been able to see people. My love for our church community has grown, not dissipated, um, the less that I've seen people, because I want to see people. I miss them. And in a bit of space and reflection, I realise how much goodness there is in people and how joyful it genuinely makes me. Somebody can have said something to me that irks me or whatever, but give me some space, some days, weeks of not seeing people. And actually you realise these are good people um, and I miss them. And I think that's the sense that Paul has. I wonder if you've had that as you've been separated from some people, you've become more grateful for them, that you feel joy when you think of them. Um, he says, I always, I always thanking God when I think of you. And then he says, and when I pray for you, I pray with joy. Um, and I think of that. I think of that as I pray for you as a church, as I think of people who are missing. And I'd really encourage you today in the space to think and to pause. Who is it that you're missing and why do you miss them? And do they know that? Do they know that they're being missed by you? And what a lovely, beautiful thing. And that's not going to be hordes of people, but there will be numerous people in your life who whenever you think of them, actually, it brings you joy. It brings a smile to your face. Um, and that's a precious thing. What a gift that is. And be grateful for it. So that's the first thing that Paul kicks off with. The other thing I want to draw your attention to is in chapter is in uh, chapter one, verse nine, where he um, has this lovely phrase where he says, and when I pray for you, I pray that you would be more and more um, aware of the abundance of love that you have, that you'd be more and more abundant in love. And then he talks about wisdom and being more insightful. In other words, Paul isn't, uh, he's, he's really aware that there is still more to be done, not just for the people in Philippi, but for himself, that we have a task, that we're not static, that in our relationships with God, he wants uh, to move us forward, that he has a goal in mind, an end in mind, what these theologians call the telos of things. What's the telos of you, the end point, the goal, the purpose? I think I'm, it's so easy for me to forget that, that uh, I'm in the process of being transformed if I yield to that and allow myself to be transformed. 
And the transformation means that you begin to look more like Christ. And fundamentally, in this letter to the church in Philippi, I think Paul just looks very like Christ. He's towards the end of his ministry life, towards the end of his life. He's maybe 60 years old at this point, which doesn't sound very old to us, um, but in those days would be. And this guy has seen uh, some sights. He's traveled half the world. He has, he's done some incredible things, and he's kind of coming into land, I think. And in my opinion, in terms of his character, he's just getting better and better. I don't think Paul could have written this letter as a younger man. He wouldn't have been so rejoicing and so joyful. I think he'd have been more questioning and more uh, bitter about the situation he finds himself in. But you find him as this satisfied older man who is sitting even in prison and is giving thanks and rejoicing. I wonder if you're feeling like that, because this is essentially an object lesson in what does Christian maturity look like. And I, I want to know about that personally. I want to know how am I maturing in my faith? It's certainly not in my uh, Bible knowledge or in even in my good deeds. That The measure that Paul says is that you will grow and abound in love more and more. And there are moments in my life, I guess, where I catch myself and I think, do you know what? I think 10 years ago, or 15 years ago, I'd have been more judgmental in that moment. I think I wouldn't have had the patience that I have now. And I'm someone who's got a long way to go, but actually also just taking some encouragement of going, do you know what? Maybe in the smallest of ways, I'm becoming a little bit more like Christ. And Paul is this great example of somebody who knows joy and can rejoice because he knows more love. In verse 11, it says that this fruit that will appear in your life through Jesus, that's been going through my head this week. Because it's not a very normal phrase, is it? You'd have thought he would say that this fruit that appears in your life that is given to you by Jesus. But he doesn't say that. It's not given as a gift. It's part of a journey. It's something that happens through a relationship with Christ. That the longer we journey with him, the more determined we are to keep plodding and learning from him, to receiving love from Christ himself, that's when we abound in love. And it's Christ's love through us more and more, yielding to the love of Christ. That means that we can love others and know love in more abundance. And when you know that more abundant love, then you can be joyous, then you can rejoice in difficult lockdown circumstances. So just in summary, and as a kind of to, to whet your appetite to go away and read the rest of this chapter at least, and maybe the whole rest of the book, I just want to encourage you to do those two things that I've reflected on in Paul. Be grateful and thankful for the people around you. Be really thankful and let them know, just like Paul does. Write something down. Pick up a phone. Be grateful. But also ask yourself the question, what is my telos? What is my goal? Where am I heading towards? Am I being more loving day by day, month by month, year by year? Or am I becoming more judgmental? Am I moving away from Christ-likeness? And the way that we become more like Christ is through Christ, is to yield to him, is to allow him to shape our lives and make uh, better decisions and wiser choices and be more patient and be more gracious on a daily basis. And all of those days plod towards this goal of spiritual maturity that we see so clearly in Paul, that even in lockdown, he's thinking of other people, he's loving them, he's abounding in love and fruit is showing in his life. That's my prayer for you this week. And uh, I pray that during this next few weeks, as we look at the book of Philippians, we'd be people who know joy 
more and more, who know what it is to rejoice, not in a kind of forced, uh, glib happiness, but in a deep down joy, because we're abounding in love. Thanks so much.